Ava Hartling. Welcome to the Brand is Female podcast. Every week, I speak with women changemakers and founders who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandysfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. This week, my guest is Carmen Sandor, the founder and CEO of Green Owl Vodka, one of the only female-owned and lead spirits sold at the LCBO in Ontario. Green Owl is Canada's first sipping vodka infused with green tea extract from Japan. Carmen started her career as a reporter for CTV News and TSN, and she pivoted to become a portfolio manager. She banked on her financial industry expertise, her entrepreneurial spirit, and her passion for clean ingredients to launch Green Owl Vodka in May 2021. Hear Carmen's story as an underdog in an industry dominated by corporate giants. Here is our conversation. Carmen, it's such a pleasure having you on The Brand is Female today. Thank you for making time and joining me. Hi, Ava. Nice to meet you, and thank you for having me. Absolutely my pleasure. And I was just saying, um, our listeners can't see this, but you have your product uh, out on the table in front of you, and I wish we were doing an in-person tasting, <laughs> uh, but we'll, we'll keep that for the future. But uh, uh, the packaging looks beautiful. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, it took a while to make, and and one of the benefits of uh, of you know being on anything is when I get to do the taste sampling. So unfortunately, we can't do that, but maybe next time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, post pandemic, um, and I like to start these conversations by going back in time for you, and you know, thinking back to when you were a girl growing up. What did you think you would do as a career later in life, and did you ever imagine you'd become an entrepreneur at some point? So I played tennis competitively growing up. And to me, I always dreamed of being a professional tennis player. I started when I was four years old and I played five, six hours a day. Wow. You know, starting when I was 14. And when I was 14, I actually started doing online schooling full time um, at home and committed myself to the sport essentially. And so I always thought I would be a tennis player. I had those dreams. You know, Monica Seles was my favorite tennis player. I'd have her uh, signature on my wall and stare at it every day. <laughs> um, and, you know, things obviously change. I think in the back of my mind, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I remember being 10 years old from tennis practice. I would do laundry for um, different households around my neighborhood and charge the money. <laughs> oh, wow. Look at you. Yeah, I was, you know, it, it was just extra cash. It was my parents really trying to teach me, you know, that allowance had to be earned or whatever it was. So um, that was, you know, I guess the first lesson I had in, in being an entrepreneur, but really I wanted to be a tennis player. And did you have entrepreneurs around you or, you know, people, and it may have come later in your career. So we'll talk about the pivot that, that you made in your career too, but you know, who were sources of inspiration for you? And maybe you had role models who were women specifically, other other than tennis players, obviously. Yeah, I think really, even though I didn't have um, any entrepreneur in my mind that really stuck out, um, my father always was a big champion as well as my mother on the idea of being an individual and taking risks in life because they pay off. And they always sort of... Um, 
you know, drilled it into my head from a very young age that you never have one option. Um, you know, you can, if you don't succeed at something, you can pick up and do something else and mm. not letting fear sort of dictate your life. Mm -hmm. So they really had from a young age drilled that into my head. And even as I was playing tennis, you know, my parents really wanted me to stay on that path. For me, mm -hmm. it was about, I wanted to go to school and get an education. Um, and, you know, I, I guess it just did cause some friction because to my parents is, you know, they're like, you can go to school at any point. You, you know, the money that a lot of people spend, you know, the hundreds of thousands of dollars, at least in the U.S., that people spend on getting an education, you can invest in a business or you can invest in doing something as an entrepreneur instead of having to take on these student loans. So they always mm -hmm. drill that into my head. I was mm -hmm. fortunate enough that I got a scholarship, a full ride uh, to a university in the States. So I didn't worry about that aspect of things. But um, it was really my parents that uh, always pushed me to think about, um, you know, life is long and you can take a risk and you can pick up and start again if it doesn't work out. So they always encouraged me um, to think that way. Such a such a valuable lesson. Um, and then I know you started work in the finance industry, I believe, before pivoting to becoming uh, your your own boss and launching your company. So I want to talk about what attracted you to that field, uh, knowing too that typically finance, you know, is generally a male dominated industry. So would love to hear about your experience. Yeah. Um, you know, when we talk about mentors, uh, one of my mentors was the CEO of the firm and he is a big, uh, he loves playing tennis. So we always had that bond. I actually mm -hmm. didn't study finance in university. I studied a couple of different things and uh, graduated from Penn State and I started a job in journalism, <laughs> funnily enough. Um, and one thing led to another. I wanted a different change. I wanted something that I felt like could challenge me a little bit more. At the time, I was doing a lot of sports journalism and I don't think I had it in me to, you know, talk about hockey 24-7, although that sounds mm. like the dream job to a lot of people. <laughs> It's not really what I wanted. Um, so I progressed and I, I, I thought, you know, why not start um, a new role? And uh, I had met Richard and started at his firm and, you know, really worked my way up and loved the industry. I loved that it was competitive. Um, I loved the firm I worked at because I thought they were really supportive Um, if you worked really hard and put an effort in and educated yourself, it didn't matter what your background was, you could progress. Um, and there's, you know, it's just a really great company to work for. And part of my, uh, the reason I stayed so long is because I really liked where I worked. That's great to hear. Um, and what made you want to launch your own business? And at the same time, I'm assuming that first business idea had to do with the starter green Al vodka. So uh, curious to know where the bug came from and how, you know, where, where, where did the idea come from for you? Yeah, I, it actually wasn't my first, uh, you know, I had just written my CFA and it was a really stressful process as anyone that has ever written that test would know. Mm -hmm. It's a very challenging experience. And I just had realized that I didn't have maybe the same commitment as other people that had been writing the test. It was a big learning lesson for me, even though I work really hard. It just, um, it was a really challenging time because I felt that 
you know, walking into that test center and seeing the thousands of kids that were sometimes, you know, stressed and crying just to pass this test and feeling like their jobs were tied to it. Um, you know, I said, this is the six hours a day I'm spending studying on this test. I, I you know, once I'm done, what am I going to do with all this free time? <laughs> so I actually started a few, you know, different ideas, but um, Green Owl just happened because a group of friends and I went on a trip to Mexico and we actually found a really cool brand called Noble Coyote. It's Mezcal. Mm. And um, at the time, you know, Mezcal is, it was growing. It's still growing. And uh, I love the product. I thought it was so unique. And I love the story behind a lot of Mezcal brands, uh, generations of families are making these products in Mexico. And there's so much heart and soul that goes uh, into making the product. And I love the story of Noble Coyote. So my friends and I decided to bring some back and eventually we started importing. Um, okay. So we had a distribution business in Ontario and it was something I was doing for fun. I would work, uh, you know, 7am to 6.37pm. And then I would have a bunch of mezcal bottles in my backpack after work. And I would go from restaurant to restaurant, bar to bar and sell the product and it was, you know, it was, uh, it was fun. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a fun industry to be in. Uh, you know, sometimes in finance, when you're doing sales, at least in my role, the, pro the progression uh, took a lot longer. Um, but the sale was so immediate with Mescal and it gave you that, you know, sales high that uh, I love as, as someone that was in sales. And so I really enjoyed it. And um, it's really was the first step. Um, into the beverage industry. But yeah, eventually um, it was just really hard importing from Mexico. There is a ton of challenges that comes with that cross-border relationship. So sure. making my own product seemed like the natural progression. So it's, I mean, I, I can imagine that it's not an easy industry to get in. It's interesting that you had set up, you had kind of a, a foot in, in the business with the uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the mezcal business. Um, tell me about, you know, creating your own product, sourcing suppliers, like kind of getting that initial, uh, you know, development and manufacturing, uh, happening. And was it what you expected it would be? Um, you know, knowing that it's an industry that typically is controlled by large brands, you know, that have kind of a, a monopoly on the industry. I think we've seen a few new young players come out on the market with, you know, very distinctive uh, products, whether it's, it's vodka or other spirits, but it's still, it's still a market that's pretty saturated with the large players. I'm curious to know what your experience was like getting that off the ground. Totally. So I'm, I think I'm going to answer this in two parts. Uh, initially, um, I naively, you know, when I decided on the product I was making and the branding came together, I believed in it so much that I had no doubt in my mind I would get through the LCBO process. I just, mm -hmm. I knew there was nothing like it. I knew the taste was exceptional. Everyone that tried it felt that way. So I really, really believed I'd get through that process. Once I got through that process, I then realized how hard it was for so many others. It, you know, every bar and restaurant I'd sell the product to would be so surprised that I was in the store and so surprised that I had moved through the process so quickly. Um, hmm. So getting that initial listing in the LCBO, um, I think I was a little bit 
I just believed in the product so much that, um, and the unique proposition of it that, uh, that I didn't really think of, you know, that massive obstacle. Mm-hmm. Um, now that I'm in the store to your point, it's incredibly challenging. You know, big brands have millions of dollars and especially in something like vodka that there hasn't been this craft, um, you know, this craft trend, the way it's happened in, in let's say whiskey or gin, you have right. a lot of different players in gin, right. That are making these craft products or even cans or beer, um, you know, craft distilleries and craft breweries are, are big and a lot of other categories and spirits, but it has not really happened in the same way in vodka. So it is a very challenging category. And I come up against that a lot. Um, I'll go to a bar and restaurant and they'll carry a line of products and, you know, that company is maybe supporting the industry in a way that I can't yet as a small brand. Um, and that's mm. a challenge for sure. So um, when dealing with suppliers, it's, it's you know, that piece uh, came a little bit easier making the product and getting that initial listing. It's now about growing the brand and to your point, really getting people familiar that this is, you know, a craft product. It's delicious and you really taste the difference between us and some of the bigger uh, multinational brands. Um, Mm -hmm. You really can, you know, notice a difference. And I think that, you know, that trend is is changing. Tito's was probably the first that really, you know, branded themselves as craft um, and we can argue whether that's still true, but, <laughs> um, they are the first ones to set that stage. And I think a lot of other brands will follow in the coming years. And what's it like, and what kind of feedback do you get as a woman, you know, at the helm of your, of your vodka company, which again, typically there's been more males involved, or at least males running the brands usually. Totally. I've gotten great feedback. Um, when we launched in the LCBO, I believe we were one of two or three uh, other female-led spirit brands. And when you think of how many brands there are, um, and it's not just unique you know, to the LCBO, it's, it's something that's happened. It, it just happens in spirit, you know, in spirits. There's very few women um, that are sort of leading the way in that category or in that industry. So, Um, it is, you know, it's unique from that sense. Um, in terms of challenges, I think because I had already come from such a male dominated industry Mm, and then mm -hmm. also my experience in tennis was mostly growing up with male coaches and playing against boys. Um, I've always been trained to sort of deal with those kind of, um, you know, scenarios where I'm, I'm usually one woman in a group of, you know, a room full of men talking about a product or selling them a product. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess I'm used to it, but it's definitely a unique, uh, proposition about the brand. And, um, I hope that we're going to be, you know, the start of something special and have more and more women in the spirits industry. I agree. Absolutely. And congratulations for, you know, being being one of the pioneers, basically. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Women in Enterprise. And they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD services for women in business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. 
TD Women and Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance to give to women in business. What was one of the biggest lessons, maybe a, you know, a challenge that you overcame or that you're still dealing with, something that was completely unexpected? <laughs> the global pandemic. <laughs> that would be a great one. Yes. <laughs> Cause you launched, when, when did you launch the brand? Uh, we launched in May, 2021. And honestly, I wish I had a crystal ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, right, right in there. Good timing. Yeah. yeah. When people ask me what, you know, my superhero power should be, I said, I wish I could see the future. It would have really changed my business. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, you know, that was, that's a challenge without saying, but it's a challenge for everyone, especially, yeah. you know, smaller brands that are launching a product that don't have uh, that brand awareness yet. Um, mm -hmm. it's not easy. And so much of buying a new product, especially in, um, beverage alcohol is trying it. You mm -hmm. know, I can tell you it's smooth, but it's really when you try it, that you get it and you're willing yeah. to pick up a whole new product. Mm -hmm. Um, so because the LCBO through COVID has not allowed in-store samplings, um, oh, right. mm -hmm. it's been really hard, right. Getting it, getting, finding new ways to get people to try it. And although that's been a challenge, I think in the long term, it's probably made us better because we are trying to be really creative with our branding and our marketing and mm -hmm. the way we do samples. So we're doing ski samplings. We're doing, um, you know, we've partnered with tennis clubs, which is my background. And, and oh, we're fun. really, yeah. we're finding different avenues of sampling to people. And in a lot of ways, you know, I think long-term that's actually beneficial, but definitely in the short term, it's been a little bit painful. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and, you know, kudos for making it through it and, and facing all, all the, all the obstacles and definitely the pandemic is bringing many for any, any brand that's in the, the consumer products world. Um, what's, what's something that you think you bring to your role as a woman specifically and, and not, I think, you know, a lot male leaders can also have female qualities and vice versa, but what's something that you think is, you know, specific to you as a woman at the helm of your brand? Yeah, I think what's important is just industry representation and also marketing is such a big thing for not just alcohol and spirits, but for a lot of companies. Um, so to me, when women really make 80% of consumer purchases and decisions within their households, it is strange to think about that at least in beverage alcohol, they're not really buying from people that are marketing really to mm -hmm. them. Right. So yeah. our marketing and our branding is uh, by women for women in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah. And of course everyone can enjoy it and drink it, but um, you know, it's just an easier drink for people to have. And I think mm -hmm. it's to that um, sort of relationship. Um, so that is definitely an important thing um, within my own business. Of course, there's certain attributes. I think women are tend to be better communicators. I, I hate generalizing. Um, I think as a whole, the world is getting better. But um, I think that's a big thing. I really try to talk things through and, and really um, progress forward as a team. I want to make sure that everyone that's involved um, feels like they're really part of something and, and they are, it's early stages. So everyone's input, uh, is going to make an immediate impact. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, 
what's one thing that you wish you knew before starting the company uh, and starting the, the the process of creating your brand? Uh, apart from knowing there would be a COVID pandemic around the corner. Yeah, uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of things day to day, which I think I'm getting better at. It's sometimes hard to learn how to prioritize. Um, you get pulled in a million different directions. Um, when you're working at a company and you have a job, I think sometimes your role, even though you can wear a lot of hats, um, you know, you sort of know because someone's giving you that target, giving you that, um, you know, path forward. It's different for me right now because we're making our own path and we have our own targets and we're setting that, that expectation. So it's definitely been um, a learning curve from that perspective and figuring out how to come to market in certain places. Like we're launching in BC and Quebec and Alberta, and that's a whole different ball game. Um, so really, you know, learning the ins and outs of distribution for a company almost nationally and then hopefully internationally, you know, these aren't things that there's no book. <laughs> mm, <laughs> which is sure. teaching me. Uh, we're learning um, mm -hmm. and that's not always easy. So I would say, um, that's something that I'm learning and, and is a challenge. And, um, you know, I have to say like, we've, we're getting better and we're progressing, but it's, it hasn't been easy. Mm. And, and, and again, I mean, you're, you're, you're taking the, the right steps and, and working through all the, all these uh, challenges and obstacles. And speaking of that, something that's come up in a lot of my conversations with women entrepreneurs recently, and we actually just had a roundtable of women entrepreneurs virtually, of course, and last week. And something that came up is, you know, men traditionally have been, you know, we refer to the the old boys club or those groups that women, that men very informally are able to form almost in an organic way, right? They kind of tend to support each other. And then when you've got that group around you, they advocate for one another, offer mentorship and support and introductions. And it seems that traditionally women are, um, I think we tend to put other priorities on the list first, right? So we'll, we'll because we, we want to get through our to-do list, it's kind of a, in our, our DNA and we, th we tend to think we can do it all ourselves. And it seems that networking is sometimes something that falls off the list more easily. Um, what's your approach to getting the support you need and getting kind of your you know, your own community that can cheer for you or provide advice, you know, mentorship, wh whatever it is you need. Um, and and is, is that something that you're actually doing and trying to bring into your overall business strategy? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point um, for sure. I would say that the biggest thing that's helped me in my career in terms of networking and even in my business is um, set your standard Oftentimes I'll meet with women and they won't know what to even get out of, you know, even their career or personally, or, uh, even within their jobs. Whereas a lot of men I talk to have no issue saying, I want to be the president in the next three years and really just vocalizing that perspective, um, Oftentimes I'll find that they're a lot more direct and bold um, with what they want out of their careers and their even personal life. Um, so I think um, I would say for, for a lot of women, uh, it's just about saying what you want, not being afraid of, of, of putting yourself out there and going after the things you want in a little bit more of a bold 
way. Um, Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with saying, I want to get here. How do I get here? And just putting it out into the universe versus, you know, being coy about it and saying, well, like I would like to maybe get here. There's no, maybe if you have Mm -hmm. a goal, set that goal and go for it versus, um, you know, playing a little bit shy. I I just don't see that with a lot of men. I think a lot of men have no issue telling you that they want to be the president or the CEO or sell a certain amount of targets or whatever it is. They put it out there often. Um, And even when they're networking, it's very direct. It's I need this and I need it by this day. And (laughs) that's not, you know, it's not always like that with women. Mm Mm-hmm. That, that is absolutely true. Um, what's the big thing? What's your big goal for 2022? Something that you're looking to tackle next? Maybe it is, you know, product specific, maybe it's strategy specific. What's kind of the big item for you in terms of, of goals, speaking of goals? Yeah, for me, uh, I definitely want to launch across Canada, um, continue to grow within Ontario, um, and then eventually launch in the U.S. So, mm-hmm. We are expanding. Um, we will be on the West Coast by the end of this year, which is is great, as well as hopefully Quebec. Um, and so my goal is to is to grow and and really just get as many people to try the product as possible. Our goal is over a million people by the end of the year to sample Green Owl and try the product. Mm-hmm. And that's really, you know, it's a big ambitious goal. And really how I handle that kind of goal is setting very measurable ways weekly on how we can do it. Um, so every sampling we do, I have a, I, I know roughly, hopefully the target and how many people we're going to be able to sample to and really build out uh, a strategy that way. So that million, you know, people doesn't seem so big when you break it out into 52 weeks of the year, right? Absolutely. Um, you're obviously, you know, busy building the the company, and you've got uh, you've got lofty goals for what's coming next. Um, how do you stay sane? And I hate the term, you know, work life balance. I don't think that perfect balance exists for anyone, men or women. But how do you stay grounded? What are things that are important? You know, speaking about wellness or self care or things that help you be the best version of yourself and keep it all together, basically. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think uh, work-life balance at a startup is is really hard. And non-existent. <laughs> it's totally non-existent. And every entrepreneur that seems to say find some work-life balance are people that have made it very far in their careers. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> it's like, can you show me what you were working like when you started your business? Yeah. Not when you're, you know, worth millions of dollars. Um so it's, it's really challenging. Honestly, I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks of what other entrepreneurs that have succeeded have done and their path. And, you know, Tool of Titans is a great audiobook. I listened to that one um, a couple of times. And it's just, uh, there are certain things that a lot of, you know, a larger percentage of successful entrepreneurs do. I definitely try my best to meditate every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, five minutes. It's not a lot. It's the least I can do. Or during the workday, if I'm stressed, um, you know, take five minutes out of my day. I try to walk and just be outside. And when I'm outside, it's almost like meditating. I'm looking and I'm not trying to think about work, but really be present and aware of what's what's happening around me. 
Um, so little things like that, you know, I'm trying to incorporate working out more often again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just hard. You get up in the morning, you see your email, it can become overwhelming, but, um, and obviously, you know, being in lockdown hasn't made that easier. Uh, but really, you know, trying to at least if I'm not working out, you know, eat healthier because that's a big component too. Um, so little things, uh, it's again, a learning curve for me. Um, and I'm, I'm doing my best, but I would say meditating for sure is makes a difference and just small little things daily. If I can eat better, I'll make a better choice, no matter how my cravings are. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. And in my, so it's always my favorite question to ask guests on the show. What's one thing you wish women would do more of and one thing they would do less of? Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, because so much of my brand is on social media and, and advertising and and presence within, you know, it's marketing a lot. Um, I see, you know, I meet a lot of young women and I just can't even imagine being, you know, 15, 16, 17, whatever on social media now. And you have this fake sense of reality Uh, you see so many girls posting, (laughs) you know, beach pics uh, every week and, and it's hard not to feel bad about yourself. Um, And I, I wish more young girls and, and even, you know, this last within your twenties and early thirties too, for a lot of women and maybe for some, you know, a lot longer until you find that sense of security. But I wish more women found confidence outside of just their appearance on social media there's so many things that you can do and there's so many um, parts of yourself that are important outside of what it looks like on social media or what you look like physically. Um, you know, the fact that I, I commit to investing myself in my business and different areas of my life um, gives me confidence more than anything else ever will. Um, so I think that's an important lesson that um, hopefully a lot more women start to learn um, that, you know, social media and whatever it is, is a false sense of reality and um, really work on yourself as a person <laughs> and uh, prioritize that. Absolutely. Yes. Very, very good advice. You've kind of, you've answered kind of both questions at the same time. Um, and lastly, what's, what's one thing you wish um, consumers would know about your product, about Green Al Vodka? Yeah. Um, a lot of time, care, energy, and thought has been put into it. And um, it really is just an exceptionally smooth vodka. Um, and it's the only green tea flavored vodka in Canada, but I don't really even lead with that um, because although it's green tea flavored, it's, it's very subtle and it's really adds to that level of smoothness. Um, and mm. I think, you know, if you're open-minded, it, it's a good product to try. And um, a lot of people will, will be surprised by the taste. So um, that's really probably the, the biggest thing I would say about it. Wonderful. Well, we'll look for for it in our different markets and give it a try. Thank you so much, Carmen, and wishing you the best for everything that's coming up. We'll have to uh, stay in touch and see uh, what's next for, for you and for the brand. And thank you so much for making time to speak with me today. This was great. Thank you so much, Ava. I really appreciate it. And um, it's always great to connect uh, with someone like yourself that has such an amazing audience that also aligns with my brand. So I really appreciate you and your time. Thank you. Thank you. It was my pleasure. 
I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Marketing and digital growth, Kayla Gillis. And partnerships, Natalie Hope. Yeah.